turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 6. This wonderful gospel that we treasure, that we hold dear, is something that God's been talking about since the beginning of time. For those of you that don't know how we mess things up so bad, when mankind sinned, we were separated from God. See, God is holy. He's, he's perfect. And because he's holy, nothing sinful can be in his presence and live. One thing has to give. And when we were separated from God by our own actions, from that moment that mankind first sinned, God said, I will send the seed of this woman and she will crush the head of the serpent. He told them from the beginning that there was a redemption plan. You may not understand the Old Testament. You may not even like the Old Testament. But I'm going to tell you, all of that was leading up to Jesus Christ. In fact, it's very hard to understand the Old Testament until you understand Jesus. Everything was for that great moment of redemption. God had that plan from the very beginning to save us, to rescue us. You know, we have it in our in our minds sometimes that the only, the only people worth rescuing are the ones who don't deserve to be, or who deserve to be rescued, the ones who didn't deserve to be punished, the ones who didn't deserve to be in a bad space. I've met people that really didn't feel that God could heal them because it was their fault. They got hurt or they got sick. But we know it's always... No matter, I mean, of course it's our fault that we were separated from God. Now, I'm not saying it's your fault if you're sick or injured. I'm certainly not saying that. But of course we've sinned and been separated from God. We all were at fault, and God freely gave. The Bible says there is none worthy, no, not one. There's nobody on the planet except for Jesus Christ that was worthy of being rescued. So really... The excuses of, well, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, I haven't, I, I don't really think I deserve this, they don't measure up because we all can say that truthfully. We were not worthy of this. We did not deserve this. We did not deserve to be rescued. We didn't deserve to be redeemed. We didn't deserve to be bought back. But God does not base his love on what you've done or who you are. He bases his love on the fact that he is love. That's what the scripture says. It says God is love. It doesn't say God just loves or he knows how to love or he has lots of love. He is love. You see, if there was no God, there would be no love. There's cheap imitations of love. We know that. But you want to know what real love is. You look at him. He is love distilled. He is perfect love. And love loved you enough to die. Bible says in one of the most famous scriptures, I bet everybody in this room, if you can't quote it, you recognize it from the moment you hear it. I'll tell you the background. There was a, a religious guy who was embarrassed to talk to Jesus. It's kind of weird. Our one of the most famous verses in the Bible, John 3.16. People put it up at football games. Everybody kind of can quote it. One of the most favorite, famous verses in the Bible was, was originally said in a secret meeting with a guy that was too embarrassed to meet with Jesus in the daylight. And he meets with Jesus, and thank God there's, we have a Savior that's compassionate and met this guy, even though it meant <laughs> being treated like a criminal or something, having to meet in cover of darkness. 
There was a man named Nicodemus. I realize a lot of you are writing that down because you've got babies coming, and that's the perfect name. And people are going to say, can I call him Nick? And you're going to say, no, Nicodemus. Nick could be Nicholas. It could be anything. I want you to know your name is Nicodemus. But as Nicodemus met Jesus in the middle of the night, he said, how do I enter the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus said, Nicodemus, truly, truly, I'm going to say something to you. You can't enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again. But we get this this, this verse from, from that conversation. He says to Nicodemus, he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his uniquely only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That whoever, whosoever, and I know you've heard this before, but I think we all can say it again. We qualify, no matter who you are, you qualify as a whosoever. Whosoever doesn't have any limitations does it, to it, does it? I don't say, well, all the people that, that do this or all the people that are of this family or all the people that, that uh, you know, ha- wear this kind of clothes or all the people that were born in this set of time. He says, whosoever, here's the qualification for eternal life. Whosoever believes in him. Not just believes in something. Not just believes that, oh, yeah, there's, I believe there's a God. Jesus said, the demons believe there is a God. And they tremble. He said that to the Pharisees. He says, you believe in God? The demons believe in God. They can't help believe. They're faced with the reality of it to their detriment every day. They hate it. It's not enough to believe in God because you see, when they say we believe in God, every culture on the planet can tell you when you just say God, you can just create that to be whatever you want it to be. Ah, just God, you know, the higher power, the, the supreme being. But the book of John says this very clearly, and Jesus said it himself. The book of John says, no one has seen God, but Jesus showed us what he looked like. Jesus demonstrated him. Jesus was talking to his disciples about the Father. And one of them looked at him and said, Lord, would you show us the Father? And Jesus says, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus said very clearly, and it's one of the most beautiful truths in the word. He said, I am the way. He doesn't say, I know the way. Some people will tell you Jesus was one of many prophets that pointed us to the way. Uh Uh-uh. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. He doesn't say, I know the truth. I preach the truth. He says, I am the truth, and I am the life. I am the life. I don't just have life. I am the life. And he says, no one can come to the Father except through me. That's our way to God. Now, that's huge because, you know, it'd be one thing if he said, nobody can come to the Father except through me, and I'm only letting 20 of you in. Or nobody could come to the Father except through me, but it's going to take you 60 years of hard study and labor to get it done. He says, if anyone believes in me, you will not perish. You put your hope and your full faith in me. You, you, You pick up your cross and you follow me. Well, let's read in Romans chapter 6. I've, I've talked enough. Romans chapter 6 speaks of this sacrifice. And I want us to talk a little bit this morning before we 
have communion before we um, go on with the rest of that part of the service, I'd like to, to bring up some thoughts about who you are and about the fact that Resurrection Sunday is not just about, you know, what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. It's very much about you right now. Now, I'm not saying make this holiday about you. It's all about you. I'm certainly not saying that. But I am saying if you just think of this as, a, as an event that took place a long time ago, you're missing the point. How many of you know that famous verse that says, if any man is in Christ, and man being human, not, not male, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Then he says, behold. Now, what does behold mean? Can somebody tell me? Look at this. Look over here. I mean, if you, were, if you saw something really amazing out there and no one was looking, you, and you were speaking this kind of English, you'd say, behold, behold. Now, none of us do that, right? You'd get some weird looks. People would be more amazed that you were yelling behold than whatever you were yelling at. <laughs> Look, Shakespeare over here has something to say to us. And the reason my Bible has kept that word is there's no other word in the English language that really describes it quite so well as behold. But, but let's just say, look, look at this. He says, behold. He says, old things have passed away. When they've passed away, come on, guys, you've got relatives that sadly have passed away. I don't mean to bring that up, but, but we have great-grandparents, great-great-grandparents. They're gone. You don't, you don't leave a chair out for them thinking, well, they might show up at Thanksgiving. You know they could change their mind about being dead. I mean, you know, it, they've been dead for 100 years. It, they must be tired of it by now. Let's just set a place for them. If you do that kind of thing, people stop coming to your Thanksgiving dinners. They start thinking there's something wrong with you. See, when something's passed away, it truly is gone. Now, in some level, the people that have passed away in our life that we love, there's still, there's still remnants of them because we fondly remember them. They're still a part of our lives in certain ways. Not so with your sin. It has been crucified with Christ. Who you used to be, if you're a believer this morning, if you've believed in Jesus, if you've called on his name, if you've received him, if you've exchanged your life for his life, then I'm going to tell you this morning, that old person you used to be, even that old person you were after you were born again and you still went back into your old ways, that has been nailed to the cross and it can never be dug up again. Jesus, the Bible says with his sacrifice, he removed as far as the east is from the west, so far as he's taken our sin from us. I want you to think, how far east do you have to travel before you get west? Now, you can say, well, well, the Philippines is west, but I can, or the Philippines is east, but I can go west and eventually get, yeah, 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 but, but you're still traveling west. You can go around the world a thousand times, you'll still be traveling the same direction. You won't catch up to east unless you turn around. That's how far he's taking your sin from you. Now, north and south will meet, right? They meet on the poles. But east and west, they never meet. You have to go the opposite direction. In the same way, he says, that's how far I've taken your sin from you. So we know about that. We're excited about that. But if that's your life, if your life is all about the fact that you used to be bad, you used to be sinful, you used to be a mess, but now you're not, that is good, but it's only half of the equation. 
That's only halfway there. In fact, that's probably less than half. It's not enough just to not be, not, not be a sinner. It's not enough just to be dead to sin. The scripture says, and we're about to read it, he wants you to be alive. In fact, let's read it in Romans chapter 6. He says in verse 4, Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too, now I want you to hear that, we too. Do you think about that on Resurrection Sunday? Do you think about what Jesus did and then say, me too? Because that's how you're supposed to think about it. You're not just supposed to think, today we celebrate as the ancients did, a wonderful event that occurred thousands of years ago. Uh Uh-uh. This is daily. He says, so that we too, in other words, just like Jesus, we might walk in newness of life. Do you know what newness of life is? Newness of life means it never gets old. You think about it. Your body goes through a process. You grow older, and for the first little bit of your life, it's nice because you get bigger and you get more mature and you get stronger but most of your life growing old just means slowly dying doesn't it I hate to bring the mood down (laughs) but those wrinkles though they might be evidence of a smiley face they're also evidence of the fact that your skin is not holding up it's not responding as well as it used to to the sunlight I had a conversation with an older pastor friend, and I said, you know, I, 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 I've yet to really understand, uh, and I, I get it intellectually, but I've, I've yet to identify with when Paul, the Apostle Paul said, you know, I, daily, I groan. I can't wait for that new body I'm going to get when, when we meet Jesus. I can't wait for it. I can't wait to be rid of this body of death. I said, I, I, said, I get it, but I've never felt that groaning. And he said, you're still young. He said, the more you live, the more you figure out this is a body of death. And you can't wait to get rid of the thing. Now, some of you are healthy and active. But you know that your spiritual life is not like your physical life. Because the Bible says, and we read this on Wednesday night, the things that are seen are temporary. God said that all, your fl- all flesh is like grass. That may, be, may seem weird, but he... He goes on and finishes the thought, so you don't just say, well, I'm a scarecrow. It says, all fle- and you're thinking, some of you ranchers and farmers are thinking, if you make a scarecrow out of grass. But anyways, <laughs> let the city guy talk. It says, all flesh is like grass. It's glory like the flowers. It says, they fade, it withers away. It all goes away. Your body is not built to last forever. Your spirit is. You are an eternal being. You are an eternal being that was designed to live eternally in the light of the Father. And he says this, that we were baptized into his death so that as Christ was raised from the dead, we don't just stop at the cross, we go to the resurrection. Through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That means every day of your life. You should not be getting tired of this life. You should not be getting 
old in the faith in the sense that you're, you're not as passionate as you used to be. If that's the way you feel, can I tell you there's better things for you. Don't give up. Don't let yourself fall into that trap of growing old and complacent. He says you might walk in newness of life. When you get to heaven, do you think Jesus is going to look 2,000 years old? No. no. He'll look as vibrant as ever. In fact, probably more vibrant. John said he a little bit freaked out. We read a little bit about it today. He's a little bit freaked out when he saw Jesus. His eyes were like fire. His hair was snow white. But it wasn't white because he was old. It was white just because, you know, he's Jesus, you know. <laughs> but he certainly wouldn't look old. He looks vibrant. He's full of life. He is the source of life. We might walk in newness of life. Verse 5, for if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, so when we became united with him in death, that's how you can say, all of those sins in my past are not part of me anymore. They have been executed with Jesus. They can't be executed again. Can you imagine somebody dragging somebody uh, out of the electric chair, giving them five minutes of being dead and then sticking them back in the chair because they deserve to be electrocuted again? That's never going to happen. Once you're dead, you're dead. If we become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. He says, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Every one of us has a past that we could spend a lot of time regretting. But he says here, our body of sin has been done away with. Done away with. Done away with means it's not going to show up at Thanksgiving. Done away with. In order that a body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. So it's not just about being forgiven. It's about being free. Not just about saying, well, I'm not going to be punished anymore. Thank God you're not going to be punished anymore. But it's also about saying, you're not a slave to those things anymore. You know, every sin is an addictive sin. Every sin, I mean, that's, that's how the, the enemy works. It, 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 it's that moment, just like any addiction, feels good at first, and then it owns you, and you can't be free. And that's why, guys, we, we know, and many, some of you have gone through this, where you've gone through physical addiction, and you've known how, how, how much you be, grew to, to hate the very thing that you once liked, because it had you, it owned you, and you knew it was killing you, but you couldn't stop. Sin is the same way, but here he says, once it's crucified, you're not a slave anymore. You have a choice. Thank God. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, I don't want you to get spooked, but you're dead. You have died. You're not dead, but you've died. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like Jesus died, but he's not dead, right? He said, I died, but I am now alive. He who has died is freed from sin. If we've died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death no longer is master over him. It says in Hebrews that uh, Christ came and took hold of us so that we would no longer, we, it, says, it says we would no longer be slaves. We would no longer be slaves. It, uh, we'd never be afraid of death anymore. It says he rescued those who through fear of death have been slaves all their life. 
And here it says, death is no longer to be the master over you. In verse 10, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. What a wonderful thought, not just to live for God, but to live to him. It's the difference between writing a song and saying, I wrote a song for you. But what, isn't it much better to say, I wrote a song for you and now I'm going to play it to you? That's what your life is like. It's not just for him, it's directly to him. Imagine your life as a song that you sing to him, as a, as a, as a story you've, you, you're playing out for him. And he says this, even so consider yourselves to be dead to sin. A lot of people stop there. I'm dead to sin, that's it. But he doesn't stop there. He says, but alive to God. Alive to God. What would that look like if you were alive to God? You see, when you became dead to sin, sin was no longer a master of you. When you became alive to God, that's your purpose in life. That's the thing that gets you ticking in the morning. That's what wakes you up is being alive to him in Christ Jesus. Verse 12 says this, Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. Don't go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But listen to this. So he says, stop. You're not a slave anymore. How silly would it look if you were a slave and somebody came and said, you're free, go on. And yet you still just kept showing up for work. How silly. Strangely enough, throughout history, that's happened. These people didn't know any better. They didn't know what else they were going to do. They had no other life but slavery, so they just showed up. That's the saddest thing, isn't it? Why would you do that? You see, we used to be slaves to sin. We had to do it. We couldn't stop ourselves. He set us free. Can I tell you, it's a waste of time for you to go around telling everybody in the world all the things they need to change before they meet Jesus. It's, it's one of the stupidest things you could ever do because you can't be free until you meet Jesus. Jesus is the only one that can set you free. So if we say, oh, Jesus will accept you after you, if you leave all this stuff behind, he'll accept you. You can't. He says you were a slave. Without Jesus, there's no victory. There's no way you could pass all the laws in the world and people wouldn't be able to stop. But here's the victory. Here's the good part. When you receive Jesus, he sets you free and whom the Son sets free is free indeed. You never have to go back to that life again. You're truly free. That's why we tell the world. The Bible says it's not our job to judge the world. Why? Because, guys, the world is not, it's not surprising when the world acts like the world. It's not surprising when dead people act dead. It's surprising when alive people crawl in the coffin and act dead. That's when it's depressing. Right? You don't go to a funeral and go, what's wrong with him? Everybody knows what's wrong with him. He's dead. What's wrong with you when you crawl in there with him? He was always my buddy. We always did stuff together. Can you poke some air holes? Oh, wait, I'm not supposed to talk. I'm dead. Well, that's when you start looking loony. People aren't looking at him and going, hmm, they're both weird. No, they're looking at you. You're the weird one. It's not weird when the world acts like the world. They don't know Jesus. But as believers, you're alive. You should be different because you're alive. As I've said before, 
I've seen alive people play dead. Right? We've seen that. Never seen a dead person play alive. You can try. You can put strings on them, whatever. It just won't work. In the same sense, he says, consider yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. He says here, and we'll read it again. He says, don't go presenting your members of your body as instruments of unrighteousness, which means your body has been redeemed. There was an old teaching back in the early church. It wasn't in the early church, but it was around the time of the early church. There was a teaching that the spirit was inherently good, and the body was inherently evil, and they would always be at odds, and you couldn't make your body not sin because it was just what it was going to do. You just couldn't help yourself. That wasn't true. Jesus didn't just buy you back spiritually. He bought the whole package. He says, you don't have to keep showing up for work and saying, here, here, boss, saying to sin, all right, I guess I'm just going to, I guess I'm a slave to my, my flaws. I guess I'm a slave to my addiction. No, he says, I've, I've come to set you free. He says, don't go presenting your, your members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. Not an awesome thing. As those alive from the dead. <laughs> your members as instruments. Your members means your body. Your body as instruments. Your part, every part of your body, your hands, your feet, your mouth. Instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. What then shall we say because we, we sin because we're not under law but under grace? May it never be. Don't you know that when you present yourself to someone as slaves for obedience, you're slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were, past tense, though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been, past tense, freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Thank God. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. What in the world is righteousness? Righteousness, and you need to know this, is more than just not being bad. Righteousness is following in the footsteps of the master. What Jesus did, Peter said it beautifully when he preached this message in the book of Acts. He said, you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. That's your life story written in advance. Went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God is with you. Isn't that wonderful? Righteousness is not, we talk about self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is not God's righteousness. Romans 10 will tell you that. God's righteousness is a gift imputed to you, but it changes you. Self-righteous people exalt themselves in all the things they're not doing. When you receive righteousness from God as a gift through Jesus Christ, it changes everything changes the image of who you are. Yes, it tends to change, it tends to keep you from doing things you used to do, but it also drives you to be like Jesus. 
he says, For when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things which you're now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. You may have liked it. You may have had a fun time for a little bit. But the outcome of what you did was death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. You know, wages is what you earn, right? When you get wages from somebody, do you go, thanks, man? Well, you may be. Maybe you just have a great boss, gives you great bonuses. But you don't just say, I don't know why you're doing this for me. You know, you showed up, worked a 50-hour week. You get that paycheck. I couldn't believe it. I wasn't expecting this. That's such a surprise. No, you go and you expect that paycheck. And if they don't give it to you, they've got issues, right? Because wages are something you earned. Death was something we earned. We might think, oh, I lived a pretty good life. He says everybody, all have sinned and fallen short of that mark, of, of God's mark of holiness. But don't worry about it too much because here's what he says. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift. Do you see the difference between a wage and a free gift? Wage is something you earned. Free gift is something you can never earn. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We've talked about eternal life and eternity as that moment when you go to heaven. But what does eternal mean? It means all beyond time, all the time, right? Doesn't it? Don't you think eternity starts now? He has life for you right now. God is not desiring that you'd walk through life full of death. He's not desiring that you'd walk through life barely getting from day to day. He is the source of life. Jesus said, out of your innermost, well, if you drink of me, out of your innermost will flow rivers of living water. Is that how you feel? Because if it's not how you feel, you can't. His life is for you. For those of you believers that have been in this for a while, God wants that newness of life. You don't grow tired and old with the things of God, but you're continually awakened to the fact that I'm alive. I'm alive, and this is beautiful, and life works in me. And if you've never received Jesus, if you've never confessed him as Lord, if you've never believed, maybe you, you knew about him, maybe you always thought he was a good person, maybe you always thought he was a prophet, maybe even you knew he was the son of God, but you never called on him. You never gave your life over to him. That life is freely offered to you, and I don't care where you came from. I don't care what your past is, and I don't care what you think your future is. When you give that life to him, we, get, we become part of the great exchange, our life for his, and we're getting the good end of the deal. What would it look like if we, every day, were alive to God? As though, it says, present yourself as those alive from the dead. I ever wonder what Lazarus might have acted like the day he got out of the tomb. <laughs> he gets, I mean, the guy's been dead for four days. Jesus comes, raises him from the dead. And this wasn't just a little story they told. I mean, there were many, many witnesses to this. 
It was the final straw that made the religious leaders want to put Jesus to death. Can you imagine? Lazarus is out of the grave. Do you think by lunchtime he's like, oatmeal again? <laughs> uh, it was more fun when I was dead. Ay, ay, ay. Imagine your first day being alive. You were dead and you're alive again. Can you imagine what that might feel like? God wants you to be like that every day, so full of his life that you're not weary of it, but you're full of it. <laughs> you don't often want to be told you're full of it, right? But when we're talking about life, that's a good thing. Full of life. Peter said of Jesus, God raised him from the dead, for it was impossible for the grave to hold him any longer. <laughs> what kind of life do you think was in Jesus? Come on, we think, oh man, it must have taken a big miracle to raise Jesus from there. Oh, it must have taken everything that God had. It says here, it flips it around. It says, it was impossible for the grave to hold him any longer. That was what, that was what was Jesus was full of. Come on. That, that, you know that spirit that's in Jesus? You imagine what it was like that resurrection morning. I mean, they have guarded this tomb like nothing else. I, I talked about this a, a few weeks ago, but let's say it again. You got to think what they did. They rolled a giant stone in front of the entrance. They were so afraid somebody might steal his body because they heard that they said this guy was going to rise from the dead. Do we believe that? No, not really, but they could steal his body. You know, we don't want to take any chances. They put a huge stone in front of it. The emperor put his seal on the thing. Well, it was, it was the governor at the time put his seal, but it was the seal of the emperor. They posted two elite special forces troops right in front of it so that no one would come near. These weren't the, these weren't the you know, sit back and eat spaghetti kind of guys. They were Italian, but they were, <laughs> these were the elite. They could kill you with their bare hands, but they don't have to because they have a short sword, they have a long sword, and they have a spear. If that weren't enough, they could smash your skull with their shield. Just for a picture. These are the guys that are guarding the tomb. You think a couple of fishermen are going to steal that body? Mm -mm. But what they weren't expecting was an attack from inside the tomb. You imagine that morning when it begins to rumble and that giant stone is rolled away and those soldiers are knocked unconscious, embarrassed, fearing for their life. For they were told, if you let this guy get out of here, you're going to die. Knocked flat and Jesus comes out of the tomb fully alive, not limping, saying, I, gotta, I got to have some recovery time, fully alive. And the scripture goes on to say, can you, so you can imagine the kind of spirit that causes something like that. And he goes on to say, if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you, he will make you alive. Even in your physical body, he'll make you alive. So, do you figure we should be having church and quietly nodding at one another and solemnly saying, ah, 
I don't think God likes us to be too bouncy or loud. I, I, I think he gets nervous around that kind of stuff. <laughs> what do you think's going to happen? You take the spirit, that, that dynamite-like spirit that caused Jesus to burst out of a tomb, knocking special forces over, come out from death to life, and you stick it inside of you, and how are you supposed to stay still? How are you supposed to stay still? Same spirit. The same spirit lives in you. Praise God. Isn't that good? Life should not be boring. Life should not be dull. Life should not be tired. Life should not be weary. For when you're weary, he says, come to me, all you who are weary. Heavy burdens, stressed out, laden with stress and burdens, come to me and I will give you rest. He has the life. He is the way. He is the truth and he is the life. Thank God. Let's stand up together. Thank God. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. He is alive. I was dead, but look at me. I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of the grave. 